0: Let's pray. Lord, thanks for your goodness, and thanks for your word, and we do pray, Lord, that you would just settle our hearts now and guide us and lead us, and please have your way with us, Lord. Your word is so rich. Lord, I'm so blessed by this chapter in your word that we want to give it due honor, and we want to hear from you. Not from my opinions or my agenda or anything at all, Lord, except just the simple, the simple, sweet way that you speak to our hearts. And so, Lord, we want to hear from you today. Do that work, please, in us, in Jesus' name, amen. Turn, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 10. Christian life, I think of it as, as two sort of parallel pieces, or maybe you might think of two sides of a coin or something like that, okay? One piece or one side of the coin is our relationship with God. That's very personal, it's extremely personal, it's so personal that if you were the only human being in all of humanity, God would have come to earth in the human form of the Trinity that we don't fully understand, in the person of Jesus Christ, would have died on a cross... And would have rose from the dead to the living to pay the price for your sin. That's how much he loves you personally and individually and supernaturally. That's the essence of our Christian existence, is it not? There's another piece of that coin. And that is we live out our Christian existence and... We live it out in community. We call it the church, right? And if you think about it, these two things run kind of parallel, and we're kind of always, in a sense, balancing these two aspects of our Christian existence. Okay? Are both with me so far? Now, the part of me, the individual relationship I have with the Lord Needs to be very sweet. It's been all provided for by him. It's motivated by his love. I hope you appreciate that I talk about it all the time because that's what drives everything. There's this other side that's like, I want to just live the way he's called me to live. I have a Bible that tells me sort of how to do that. Part of my Bible tells me that I need to live in community with other human beings. Fair enough? And there are things I need to do and things I probably need to not do. Right? So far, so good? Thanks, Nate. Appreciate that. He threw off my mojo. There are... There are movies that I might watch or not watch. Fair enough? There's music that, when I was growing up, my dad said, You know, I don't like that music. <laughs> right? And there's a whole Christian thing. Here's what I want us to catch. It is very possible, and I would even say common, to live out this whole Christian thing being completely oblivious to the personal part. Is that fair? And what I just described is religion, right? And this part over here I will describe as a relationship with God the Father through the person of Jesus Christ empowered by the person of the Holy Spirit. Right? That's the relationship. Now, do I live that relationship in a vacuum? No. I have to live it in the setting, in the context of a Christian religion. Right? But I've got to be very careful that these two go hand in hand, and i got to be very careful that all the pieces of this part are looking to this part for direction. Does that make sense? You know, we have church. You might tell your friends, I'm a Christian. They say, well, what does that mean? It means I go to church. Okay, now you're automatically talking about this side of the equation, right? I mean, is that a wrong answer? It's not a wrong answer. What are, you gonna, what are they going to say when you say I go to church? What are they going to say? They might say I tried that. They might say what kind of church, yeah. right? Because they want to know if you're one of them or one of them, both of which are weird, right? Uh-huh. And they're trying to sort of size you up. And then we get in, and that's where we kind of get into all these things about like what kind of church, and, you know, is the music too loud? Is the music not loud enough? And, you know, we talk about doctrines, and we talk about backgrounds. We talk about all kinds of stuff. And it's important that we live out those things and that we work through those things as community. But can I say this? We've always got to be looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Hebrews chapter chapter 12, we'll read in maybe three weeks, right? It's important that we're looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, for instructions in how to live this out. Now, there's some freedom in that. He doesn't tell us exactly what music to listen to or exactly what not to listen to and all that sort of thing. So we kind of have to work through those things. But the Jewish Christians were working through all those things. And the Jewish Christians were, I'm going to say, out of balance in that they were so religious over here that they didn't want to really neglect Jesus, but they were just kind of a little more secure over in their religious parts. Does that make sense? And so they were very tempted to do that. And what's the purpose of the entire book of of Hebrews that I keep hammering about? And that is Jesus is better than any piece of this religious part. Jesus is better than the Old Testament prophets. Jesus is better than the Old Testament, the the angels that they talked about. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus, the sanctuary that Jesus um, offered himself in was really the sanctuary of heaven, which was better than the tabernacle. And all of these things point to the fact that Jesus is better. And there's nothing wrong with the Christian gig, we'll say, as long as it's dependent and driven, and directed by Jesus as instructed to us by the Word of God. Fair enough? And so we don't want to be like the Jewish Christians were that kept leaning on their religious uh, superiority, their religious pride, their religious rituals, and they found all their security in that. We want to find all of our security in the person of Jesus Christ. All right? Today we go one step further to find out that, you know, Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than the prophets. Jesus' priesthood was better than the priesthood of Aaron. All of these Old Testament pieces that we see uh, played out and described in the, in the book of Hebrews, the last week we read that his sanctuary is better. Today we read that his sacrifice is better. You know, the Jewish law, their version of sort of this, if you will. The Jewish law had sacrifices for sin. Jesus himself is the ultimate sacrifice for sin. And the sacrifice that Jesus gave of himself is infinitely better than the sum total of all of those Old Testament sacrifices. And by extension, the sacrifice of Jesus is infinitely better than anything we think that we have to offer God to cover our sin. All right? Everybody good? So far so good? Have you noticed I haven't read a single word yet? Right. So, verse 1. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make those who approach perfect. And so notice this. The Old Testament law, it says here, is just a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things. The law was a shadow. Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 and 17 says this. So let no one judge you in food or drink, Paul says to the Colossian church. Let no one judge you in food or drink. By the way, can I extend that for just a second as I carry out the the analogy that we painted at the beginning? And I'm probably going to be referring back to that, and that's why I took some time to do that. Let no one judge you in food or drink. Let no one judge you in external things of any form apart from what God has directed. Does that make sense? Like when I say, well, I'm a Christian, that means I go to church, and they say, well, what kind of church? All of a sudden, I could find myself being judged because I'm a little too much this or a little not enough that or a little, you know, not clean enough here or a little too rough around the edges there and blah, 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 blah. blah. Next thing you know, I'm being judged, quote, in food or drink. Does that make sense? He says, let no one judge you in food or drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths which are a shadow of the things to come but the substance is of Christ. Here in Hebrews he says those things, the law, all those rules, all that stuff is a shadow of the good things to come. It's almost like our relationship with God here casts a shadow on our religious life that we call Christianity. And there's nothing wrong with that, but that's not the substance. That's not the substance. It always points us back to the reality, and that is Jesus. Okay? So, notice also it says those things, those things that are a shadow, those, law, those, those sacrifices, the law, all of that, they can never, with these same sacrifices, make those who approach perfect. They can't, the, the Old Testament sacrifices couldn't make anybody perfect, right? And, and one way we know that is because they had to be offered continually year by year. Every year, the Day of Atonement, the high priest went into the, high, into the Holy of Holies. We talked about that last week, right? Guess what he had to do? He had to do it again next year. Why? Because sin wasn't done away with. It just kind of, the, the sacrifice was just kind of being maintained, right? How many times did Jesus have to die? Once, period, because it was done, and sin was paid for. When he hung on that cross, what do he say? It is finished. The work for salvation for you and I is finished, done, and it's a beautiful, beautiful picture. So clearly, we've got to be careful as Christians, I would say, today. We all have a tendency to measure spirituality, our own and others, by external things. That's just the reality. I'll even say this. The guy who... Let me just say, maybe not the guy. There are a lot of people out there, I believe, that don't have a right understanding of who God is. Why? Because they've experienced this apart from God. They've experienced this. They know what it's like to be judged. They know what it's like to feel inadequate. They know what it's like to not feel like I mean, I remember years ago, this is stuck in our heads. Tracy always talks about it. It's, it's grievous to us. She invited a co-worker to church probably 30 years ago. And the co-worker says, I can't go to church. I don't have the right clothing. Chew on that for a minute. Does the church send that message sometimes? Yes. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. We've got to be very aware of our tendency to judge our own spirituality and others by external things. What matters is whether or not we love and appreciate Jesus and recognize that his work was adequate. And then, because we recognize that, We live lives that say, wow, that's amazing. I want to live a life that says thanks. I want to, you know what, all of a sudden, the more I realize that he's the author and finisher of my faith, the more that I realize that he died on a cross for me, it makes me less likely to do the things that I think would grieve him or say the things that I think would grieve him. It makes me want to invite others to that kind of relationship. It doesn't make me want to invite others into my flavor of Christianity. It it makes me want to invite others into fellowship with him. It's huge. It's huge. He says, for then, verse 2, for then, would they not have ceased to be offered? If If those sacrifices were adequate, they wouldn't have to be done every year. Is a simple point. For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins. They wouldn't have been aware of their sin. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. Every year that priest went in the Holy of Holies was a reminder that, yep, we messed up again. You ever feel like that? You have this reminder, yep, messed up again. Thank God Jesus took care of all of that. For it was not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. We talked about this last week. I'll say it just for the sake of repetition, or if you weren't here last week, it'll be the first time maybe. You know, the whole covering of sin started in the Garden of Eden, right? Adam and Eve sinned. They realized they were sinners, and they sewed together fig leaves, right, to try to cover up their sin. They were, prior to that, they were naked and not ashamed, it says. But now all of a sudden they're aware of their nakedness. They're aware of their sin. And they're aware of the consequences of their sin, which is their nakedness. And so they took fig leaves and tried to cover themselves up. It's a reasonable thing, right? It was really the first act of religion, trying by man-made efforts to cover up sin. And God, in his graciousness, killed an innocent animal or more than one animal, whatever, however that goes, and made them animal skins, so they could cover up their sin. But it never, and that was a point, that was pointing to the fact that, you know, the innocent had to die for the guilty. The innocent animal died for the guilty Adam and Eve, and that, but that wasn't complete. That pointed to a future innocent one who would die for the guilty, and that is Jesus Christ, right? But those animal skins were just sort of, again, a shadow. But the point is, the animal skins covered sin, Jesus removes sin. There's a big difference between covering sin and removing sin. And Jesus removed our sin. It is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. They merely covered it. Verse 5, therefore, when he came into the world, he said, sacrifice an offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. And so what do we see here? This is a quote from Psalm 40, and basically it's a Messianic psalm uh, talking about Jesus actually is the sacrifice. And I love this. In the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. The volume of the book from Genesis to Revelation is all about Jesus Christ is in the volume of the book. The volume of the book is written of me to do your will, O God. Recall when Saul spared the Amalekite animals for sacrifice. Remember that? God told Saul, King Saul, 1 Samuel chapter 15, God told King Saul, you know, the Amalekites, they need to be wiped out. And, you know, we could say God was harsh, but God has his reasons for everything. And even the animals need to be wiped out. And Saul spares some of the Amalekites, spares some of the animals in disobedience to God's word. And when Samuel comes and he says, hey, how'd it go? He said, hey, I did everything I was supposed to do. And Samuel says, so why do I hear animals making noise? And he said, hey, we saved those for the sacrifice. And Samuel says brilliant words that should ring in our ears. He said, you know, to obey is better than to sacrifice. You know, we, we have this idea in our religious side That if we just sacrifice, and you know there's some animal sacrifice, and you know I give my money to the church, and that's sacrifice, and I try to dress up and be a nice guy, that's a sacrifice, and I try to deny myself and be a blessing to other people, and that's a sacrifice, and I think I'm doing all this great sacrifice. But ultimately, obeying God is better than sacrifice. And so what what he's talking about here in this Messianic Psalm is really obedience to Jesus according to the word, is really what we need to be about. Not just sacrifice in itself, though that will bring some sacrifice, but really obedience to Jesus. He says, Samuel says this, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft." God equates empty religious offering, okay? Remember again, if I paint the picture over here, we can, we can live religiously oblivious to God. God equates that to rebellion and to witchcraft. We've got to be very careful to avoid empty religion apart from genuine fellowship with Jesus. And here's why, my brain's going, my brain's kind of parked there for a little bit. You know, many of us grew up in church. I grew up in church. And I think we forget how, like, we got a church vocabulary, right? Praise the Lord, right? You know? We've got, a, we've got a church handshake, we've got a church vocabulary, we've got church music, we've got a church thing, we've got, we got all of our Christian stuff. And if we live that out, apart from just simply obeying the Lord, we're on dangerous ground. And I worry sometimes, I don't worry, I shouldn't say that. I have a concern sometimes that we can be obsessed with, is my flavor of Christianity more spiritual than your flavor of Christianity? And next thing you know, we're a bunch of, like, I forget what species. I'm not an expert on primates, okay? And I don't think we evolved from any of them, right? But there's one species at the zoo that they just walk around picking at each other. It's a grooming thing, right? What is it? What species is it? Animal people. Animal lovers. Monkeys. We'll say monkeys. They, they just pick at each other. It's like, a, it's, I think it's a grooming thing, right? But it's, in my mind, I I there's a bunch of Christians in the zoo, right? <laughs> they're, they're doing church. You are just a little imperfect there. Oh, now you're perfect. Right? Isn't that how we live? Let's not do that. Let's decide today that we'll stop doing that. Because we love and appreciate the Lord. And guess what? He died for that person that needs their flea picked out of their ear. Right? You think about that tonight when you lay your head on the pillow. Verse eight, previously saying sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire nor had pleasure in them which are offered according to the law. Then he said, behold, I I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. So the first law, the first religion, the Jewish system, Jesus took that away. He didn't, he didn't remove it. He just fulfilled it. It's like he, he, uh, he fulfilled it so much it's that it went away so he could establish the second. So he's talking about the new system of Jesus dying on a cross for our sin. And we've got to be very careful not to go back to the old sort of Jewish way. They had to be careful not to go back to their old Jewish way, right? There's nothing wrong with that, but it, just, it was inadequate, and it was merely meant to point to Jesus, right? For us, we've got to be very careful not to go back to, let me say, our Jewish way or our religious way. Verse 10, by that we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So because of his sacrifice, we can rest in him once for all. We don't have to bring a new we don't have to bring a new sacrifice next year. There's no no new day of atonement for us. We don't have to worry about that. He does all that. Verse 11 and every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. From that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. And so we've talked about this the last, I believe, couple of weeks, that once Jesus sacrificed himself, he has sat down at the right hand of God in heaven. So he says that again for repetition. And so again, just an over just a reiteration, you know, he's he's his sacrifice replaces those repeated sacrifices. that could never really take away sin. They just covered sin and pointed to what would later be his perfect sacrifice. For by one offering, verse 14, by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. If you're an underliner, let me just encourage you to underline that verse. By one offering. How many? One. Whose? Jesus'. He has perfected forever okay any grammar snobs in the room okay one (laughs) my wife says one and he's talking to you okay has perfected past tense present tense future tense which is it past tense has perfected so is there anything yet to be finished Any work for us to do? Anything you need to be sweating about in terms of your salvation? No. It's finished, he said. Right? So, for by one offering, he has perfected for how long? Forever. Forever. It's been done. It's going to always have been done. Those, who's that referring to? All of us, who wait a minute, are being sanctified. Past tense, present tense, or future tense? Are. Present. This is our life, right? This is my life. The work has been all, all done. Keep in mind, God is outside of space and time. In his mind, the way he sees it, it's all done. We, we are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It's all been done. The work is done. I am on my way to heaven. I got a first-class ticket nonstop. Right? All I got to do is die. And I'm going to heaven. Right? But if you notice, there's a process between me and death. And that is, I got to keep picking my own fleas out and... Pick your fleas out. And we got to pick each other's fleas out. we got to live life. And and you know what? God, now, as apart from the analogy I gave there, God is doing that work in me. So, how cool is that? You don't have to pick my fleas out, by the way. I don't have to pick your fleas out. But God, Romans chapter 8. Is conforming me, is conforming me into His image. Isn't that crazy. The work of salvation's all been done. Right. It's all done. But along the way, I live my daily life, and as I do that, He is molding me into his image. So let's read that again. For by one offering, Jesus Christ, he has perfected forever those of us who are being sanctified. Sanctified is one of those Christian words, by the way. It's a $3 word meaning I am growing in Jesus. I am becoming more like him. He is making me become more like him. That's what it means to be sanctified. It's a beautiful picture. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us for after this, I'm sorry, for after he has said before, look at this, this is a quote from Jeremiah, and I'm going to tell you this, when the Bible repeats itself, it's for emphasis, okay? So you may or may not remember, we read this same quote from Jeremiah, or this is a shortened version of it, same quote in Hebrews chapter 8. So it's written in Jeremiah, I believe chapter 31, Hebrews chapter 8 and Hebrews chapter 10. And this is what he says. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds. I will write them. Then he adds their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is remission of sins, there is no longer an offering for sin. You believe this? We get to live this way? God, because of his great sacrifice for me, has made it such that He is molding me into his image. He's putting his laws into my heart. And in my mind, he's writing those laws. And he chooses, it's not like he's got a memory lapse, he chooses to not remember all my sin. Talk about a clean slate. He chooses to not remember my sin while he is conforming me into his image, having done all the work for my salvation. It's a win-win. Now, remember that guy you were talking to that uh, you told him you're Christian and you go to church and he asked what kind of church? Do you think based on that guy's perception of Christianity in America, 2023, do you think he has a good grasp on all of that by looking at God's children and seeing how they interact with one another? I don't think so. All he knows is that they're, you know, they got certain political leanings and they get excited about some things and they don't get excited about other things. Right? Too often. Not always, but too often. Right? So let's keep in mind that God remembers our sins no more. Now, where there's remission of sin, where there's remission of these, there's no longer an offering for sin. We don't have to go back and offer animal sacrifices. Verse 19. Now, I want to highlight here. 19 through 25 are some of the most beautiful scriptures, in my mind at least, as to what do we do in response to what I just described. And so that's why I took, I took some time to, ex, to try to build this picture that God has blessed us so much. God has blessed us so much. So what do we do? Therefore, therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us, Through the veil that is his flesh and having a high priest over the house of God. So he's pulling together. You'd almost have to, you would have had to have been here for the last, really through the whole book of Hebrews, because he's really building this case. He's talked about, you know, the veil that separates the Holy of Holies from the holy place, which was the Holy of Holies represented the presence of God. So he's, you know, he says he's, you know, he's bringing us through that veil. He's, you know, become our high priest. All of this, he says... Because of all of that, we now have the boldness to enter the presence of God. And so there's this sort of balance. In a sense, there's a lot of balances in the Christian life. There's the balance between our individual relationship with the Lord and our collective thing we call Christianity as a part of a church. But there's also a balance of, um, you know, we have this amazing, awesome respect for the Lord we don't you know we 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 don't fully understand him but we just appreciate that his love is so great for us that we're just so humbled and so thankful and so we want to be so honoring to him that we can on the other hand come into his presence boldly I don't know about you but I feel like I'm so I have such an awe of God that I you know I don't he doesn't want us to be intimidated by him I guess is what I'm saying He wants us to be honoring to him, but he doesn't want us to be intimidated by him. He wants us to come into his presence. Usually if we're intimidated by God, it's because we did something wrong or it's because we don't understand his grace. Usually it's we don't understand his grace. So he says, let us come boldly. Therefore, having the boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus... That's how we get there. Verse 22, let us. He's going to give us three let us's. Okay, these are commands. Let us. Let's not, it's not like, hey, why don't we do this? It's the, the Greek is more of a command. All right. Let's do this. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. All right. So therefore having boldness now that he made available, let us draw near basically with sincerity because we know that even though we're sinners, our hearts have been sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, with pure water. James 4.8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. We can draw near with full assurance of faith because we've been cleansed by Jesus. Isn't that sweet? And the idea here is that he made all that possible and that we don't have to keep offering all these things. Let us, let us draw near with a true heart. Verse 23, what else should we do? Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. You know, we're also commanded to hope in Jesus. Now, we've said this before, I'll say it again. There's a hope that we understand in our English language, like I hope my lottery ticket wins, right? I hope this is going to work out, it's a hope, it's like a throwing a dart at the dartboard, right? I hope it sticks, kind of a hope. That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is, Jesus has done all the work, therefore, we can put our hope in him, because the reality is, there's a lot of uncertainty in our lives, right? Right? There's a lot of uncertainty in what's going to happen today. There's a lot of uncertainty in geopolitical tension. There's a lot of uncertainty in, in all kinds of things. There's a lot of uncertainty everywhere we go. And so we can therefore put our hope in Jesus. Not like, hey, I hope this works out. Well, if we live life from a man-made strategy, from a man-made approach, like I hope it works out, then I'm going to have to manipulate the situation to make it all work out. Right? Right? you know i hope my you know hope my situation works i hope this guy's not too mad at me so i'm going to have to kind of you know do this and run interference and you know i hope uh, all my strategy works can i tell you this way too much christian life operates by strategy by human man initiated strategy how much more so would we find peace if we all walked around saying jesus died for me He's going to work it out. Now, I need to be faithful. I need to draw near to him. I need to do what he says. But you know what? At the end of the day, he's done a pretty good job of operating the world so far, of operating my life, of carrying out what he said he was going to do. He's done a pretty good job of that so far. I'm going to place my hope that he will continue to do that. Philippians 1, verse 6. He who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. If you've you've ever talked to me, and many of you have, about like, hey, I got a situation. You know, I don't know how this is going to work out. I feel like I'm not where I need to be, right? You've probably heard me tell you that verse. He who began a good work in you. Let's just pause there. Who did the work? He. Who began a good work in you? If you're here today, right, you didn't come here today because you thought we were going to pass out $100 bills. Right? Because we're not. <laughs> you didn't come here today because you thought you, got, you missed a turn and you thought this was a casino or that this was some place of great entertainment. You came here today Knowing that this is a church. And most of you, maybe all of you, came here today knowing that, I bet, we're going to read the Bible. And what that means is, I'm going to say, especially in this world that we live in today, I'm going to say the only thing that could motivate you to do that is that God has begun to do a good work. And so I would say, he who has begun a good work in you, and I'm going to go out on a limb and say, if you're here today, he has begun a good work in you. Somehow, he will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, do we have free will along the way? Yes, somehow, and I don't, <laughs> you know, but all I know is, he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to, Put my hope in him. Not in me. Not in my strategy. I'm going to put my hope in him. So he says, verse 23, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Let's hang on to that hope. Why? Because he who promised is faithful. And let me just say this. Things don't always in life work out like we think they should. Or like we hoped they would. And I get that. There are hard times in this life. But God somehow sees an infinitely bigger picture than we do. And I do know this. Either this. Either this word that I read is true or it's false. And there's enough evidence evidence to tell me that it's true, that I can stand on the fact that every single word of it is true, right? And if I can do that, then it stands to reason logically that I can put my hope in him because he who has promised is faithful. He's not going to stop being good to us. He's not going to change his character from what he has been since eternity past, And then finally, verse 24, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. I like what one guy said. I didn't come up with this on my own. But if you look at verse 22, let us draw near in full assurance of faith. And then verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. And verse 24, let us draw near in order to stir up love, right? What's Paul tell the Corinthians? These things remain, faith, hope, and love, right? So we live out faith, hope, and love in response to the fact that Jesus died on a cross for us, and, that, and that, that sacrifice was once and for all, and it was adequate for all that we need, right? Right? We can rest in that, and we can live out faith, hope, and love. But let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. You know, that's where this side of the religion is, right? The church, right? We assemble together as a church. Now, consider the diff- consider this. There's a difference between gathering and assembling. Is that fair? When you rake up the leaves this time of year in Indiana, at the end you got a big pile of leaves, right? Were they gathered or were they assembled? They were gathered, right? Into what? A pile, right? And I think of it like this. I think, you know, there's a difference between gathering and assembling. This word is very specific for assembling. You put together a big pile of Lego pieces, right? You can either gather them into a pile or you can assemble them into something artistic, right? You've seen those crazy things that they have on display made by people smarter than me, right? They're assembled. And there's a difference between assembling and gathering. 1 Corinthians tells us that we are the body of Christ, right? So our Christian life that we live together is as the body of Christ. He draws the analogy between the human body and us as a body. Now, if I've got cells in my body, are they assembled or are they gathered? Assembled, right? Divinely assembled, put together by God, knit together in my mother's womb, right? Fearfully and wonderfully made, all of that, right? Right? assembled. Je- uh, the writer here says, let us consider one another, so think beyond ourselves enough to consider one another, to stir up love and good works, and not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the matter of some. Can I tell you this? This always sounds uh, a little bit self, uh, whatever, self-serving uh, because I'm the pastor, right? Like, should the pastor yell at people that they should be at church? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Okay, if you insist. Okay, no, I won't yell at people for being at church. (laughs) But can I just say this? Let me just say this, because you all came to church. Can I encourage us that when we do come to church, let's come like we're coming to be assembled? You get it? You know, a leaf on its way to a pile just kind of moseys over there, right? What's the big deal? I'm hanging out waiting for the windstorm to carry me to the pile, so I'll help the rake get to the pile. That's how a leaf would get there, right? How would we get there? How should we assemble as a gathering of believers who've been saved by God the author and finisher of our faith who offered one sacrifice once and for all. Uh, I guess I'll go. I got coffee. Right? Do we do that sometimes? Yeah. Sometimes we do that. Let's go with intention. Let's go with deliberate intention that we are coming together for a purpose as the body of Christ why do we make a big deal about that break time that you think goes on way too long why do we do that I like it of course you do (laughs) we all like it right thank you I appreciate the the affirmation I need affirmation Uh, why do we do that because that's the time when the body of Christ knits together. Is it not? And that needs to be intentional and deliberate, right? Talk about football later, right? Now we're, you know, during that time, we're intention we're assembling. We're not gathering, we're assembling. So he says, "Let us not neglect that. Don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. I do promise that we will blow through these last verses because you're nervous. Verse 26, For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation, which will devour the adversaries. This verse is very worrisome if it's taken out of context. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment, do you suppose, will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So what does this mean? This means after we've painted the picture that we've painted, and hopefully I've painted it at least somewhat not so blurry, the picture that Jesus Christ died on a cross for me and paid the ultimate sacrifice once and for all. So I don't need to worry about the blood of bulls and goats covering my sin and having to keep doing that all the time. And I don't even have to worry about necessarily my religious fleas that I'm picking out of my ear or picking out of your ear or you're picking out of my ear and all that I don't even worry about that because I'm I'm focused on Jesus and yes that does drive some of the things in my life and that causes me to want to have put my faith in him and draw near to him and it causes me to want to place my hope in him for he is faithful and it causes me to want to stir up one another for love and good works because we want to be assembled together yes all those things go together as I said at the beginning these are two sides of the same coin right but how much, if I, if, if I could look at the cross, at Jesus hanging on the cross, and say, nah, that's not for me. I think I'm going to go offer lambs and goats again, and bulls what would he say to that what would he say to that he would again after i've painted this picture and 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 not at all adequate okay but i hope we get the idea how offensive is that to god if you were god and you're writing the bible okay and after you gave this great description in your word and somebody says you know what thanks, but I prefer goats. What kind of language would you use in the Bible? Some pretty harsh words, right? You'd, you'd say things like, you know what, if we sin willfully, and that's not if we stumble. That's if I say, no thanks, I recognize what you've done, and I am not interested. If that describes us, then there's no longer a sacrifice for sins because there's no goat in the world that's good enough. There's no bull in the world that's good enough. There's no amount of money you could give to the church that's good enough. And as a matter of fact, it's so offensive to God that it's just like, are you serious? You're trying to just buy your way out of it. Right? Again, it's a relationship, right? It's not a list of sacrifices or peace offerings that we're trying to make for God. He's saying, if you turn your back on Jesus... There's no peace offering that's available, right? Yeah. I used to work with a, a nurse in my office up in Indianapolis years ago. About once a month, on her desk there was a dozen red roses. Not always on the same day of the month, but usually around, about, about every month or two, there's a dozen red roses on her desk. What's that mean, guys? It means he said or did something stupid. Right? Guys, did you know what I was talking about? Thank you. It means he said or did something stupid. Right? And it kind of got to be, you know, she worked in our office for quite a while. and You know, I'd walk in. Huh. What did he do? Right? Because I knew he did something stupid. She didn't just go out and buy herself roses on her way to work right? He didn't buy him because, well, because he cared. (laughs) He was trying to offer an offering to cover up for what should have been a relationship, right? If we try any offering apart from just simply saying, thank you, Jesus, it's offensive. And he goes on. He says, you know, in the Old Testament, If a guy did that in the Mosaic law anyone who rejects the the Moses law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose would it be thought worthy who has trampled that's a harsh word trampled the, the son of God underfoot and counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified no big deal. And insulted the spirit of grace. So are these harsh words? Yeah, they're harsh words. But in context, it helps us understand that this is talking about the guy who refuses, who recognizes what Jesus did and refuses it and says, I'm going to try some other way. That doesn't that doesn't fly. But recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle both by reproaches and tribulations and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. So, again, he's just kind of reiterating that, you know, this life is hard. This life is very hard. And there are challenges in this life. And he's not ignoring that. That's our reality. For you had compassion on me in my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. So basically he's saying, hang in there. Hang in there. Incidentally, if you're curious, uh, people that say that uh, they believe that Paul wrote the book of Ephesians, Hebrews, uh, this is one of the reasons they said you had compassion on me in my chain. So they would say this is another one of Paul's sort of prison epistles, just happens to be to the Hebrews. So that's just bonus. But, you know, the New Testament believers, in the first century, those that, particularly those that were Hebrews, then had to reject all the Old Testament system because they, they recognized that Jesus was, was all they needed. They had, they had challenges as a result of that. And so, you know, for us, uh, we're going to have challenges. But he says, verse 36, You have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise for yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. So what do we need? We need endurance. Verse 20, verse 36, you have need of endurance, right? Hebrews chapter two told us we must take heed lest we drift away, right? We need to keep our focus on Jesus, not on our religious thing. And the order is critical. We do some religious things, all right? We, we try to be nice. We try to live godly lives. We try to be honorable, but we do it in response to what Jesus has already done. We put our faith in him. We draw near to him. We put our hope in him because he's faithful. And we stir up one another to love. We're trying to encourage others not to get the fleas out of their ears, but to look to Jesus, right? And it makes all the difference in the world. You know, if you look to Jesus and I look to Jesus and we look to him in slightly different ways, we could be okay with that, can't we? I hope we can. I hope we can. There's lots of flavors of Christians. Is that okay? I hope it is. I think when we get to heaven, we're going to find there's lots of flavors of Christians. So God did all the work for us to have genuine fellowship with Him, genuine relationship with Him. Religion, apart from relationship, is offensive. Religion, any religion, whether it's Judaism or whether it's something we call Christianity, apart from a relationship with Him, is offensive because it neglects what he's done for us. Our job is to remain dependent upon him and to just live accordingly. And again, I'll say this, I've said this before, I like what one guy said. He said, our job is to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then do whatever we feel like. If you get the order right, if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, then you do whatever you feel like, I don't need to worry about your fleas. Right? And neither do you. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your goodness and thank you that you did all the work to make possible this relationship we have with you. Lord, we know that we come here at times frail, we know that we come here as sinners. We know that at times we come here humbled. And we know that we come here feeling inadequate. And so, Lord, please deliver us from the mindset that tries to cover up all those things. And please just help us to keep our eyes fixed on you. Lord, we are so thankful. That you've done all the work help us to just endure for your glory in jesus name amen amen we have an awesome week tuesday night six o'clock